Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hi. That's Char. Hello. You can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com where you can sign up for our monthly e-news. For behind-the-scenes videos and two-minute clips of our interviews, head to our YouTube channel and subscribe. You can find us every other Thursday morning at 9.30 a.m. at bff.fm. And if you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the love of God, do it. It really helps. Here we are at Slam Dance virtually, of course. We are here with director Alberto Gerosa from the film Dea. And um, Alberto, what we would like to do with our filmmakers is for you to kind of describe the film to our audience, if you will. Sure, the film uh, tries to explore what has been called uh, already for a few decades, that kind of ridge between fiction and documentary. So that territory of uh, uh, relating to the concept of the real from different direction, not just simply representing someone on try or trying to speak on behalf of someone, but instead trying to share the creative tools with someone in terms of um, having a script laboratory in the beginning where we discuss what's the best way to uh, describe things, represent people, and then moving on to having only improvised dialogues that are acted out by people that were either in that very precise exact situation in their life or they were exactly in that situation but on the part of the victim. So for example, if you remember, there is a girl, uh, her name was is Judy and she acts as the agency. So she's the one who tells Dea, where are you? Your visa is expired. Judy is a victim of domestic violence. She was um, having that conversation with agency, but she was on the side of Dea uh, mm. about 15 years ago. And uh, that's an example of someone who has been participating in the workshop and then wanted to act in a specifically significant role for her own, you know, um, for her own choice. And uh, then there is also some very, very direct interviews. For example, when Dea is at the dormitory in Hong Kong and she meets a woman who speaks about being um, denied food. Yes. That's not acting. That's that girl really in that dormitory. We were just there because we needed a dormitory to film. And when we arrived there, we met her, we spoke with her, and basically we shot that as a kind of interview. And um, when Dea is outside of the immigration center at night mm. and sleeps with girls who give her a cheeseburger, I believe, or hamburger, yeah. um, that was also a very improvised uh, conversation with women that were really there waiting for the place to open the day after. So we have tried to mix cards as much as possible in order to take inspiration from other previous uh, films that are kind of documentary, but kind of fiction, but kind of ethnographic film. You know, there's a million labels. Um, We just try to make a definition, you know, or a distinction between what tries to be cinema aesthetically and what maybe doesn't achieve that. And um, 
that's for the form of the film. In terms of content, this is a very important uh, story about uh, women empowerment and migration. It's, uh, I believe, a very um, necessary and urgent topic nowadays in almost any direction and region, but within Asia and Southeast Asia, you have the women migrant domestic workers, which go to um, richer uh, countries and areas such as Hong Kong, such as Singapore, Taiwan, but also such as um, Middle East, Saudi Arabia sometimes. Mm -hmm. And uh, their government has an institutional um, um, agreement with the destination governments so that these women receive a different visa. And because of the different visa, they have different rights. And this is important because uh, in order to maintain the visa, they might accept a lot of the vulnerabilities that the jobs that the jobs have with them, such as um, they're vulnerable to, you know, of course, the promiscuity of being forced to live with the employers, but mm -hmm. also domestic violence, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. And so we have worked together with a group of about 40 uh, domestic workers from Indonesia who are currently in Hong Kong and Macau. We did a workshop uh, for a few months every Sunday, which is their free day. And in that workshop, there was an acting improv sharing. So mm -hmm. there were days in which, of course, this became very emotional. Other days in which it became very funny and very um, pleasant for everyone. After a few months, all of these stories were merged into one. And then together with the, the group, we decided we chose for an actress to be embedded within real situations. So she is not a domestic worker. She's a real actress and a very, very good one from mm -hmm. Indonesia. She met with them. She read all of their diaries. She saw the results of the workshop. And we think she did a very good job in um, entering inside of this um, community. And then we went to Indonesia with a WhatsApp group in a... <laughs> in the smartphone and then we constantly asked question to the whatsapp group hey do you think this house is okay hey do you think this place is okay is this village the one you know so that of course without any uh, naive uh, desire to really uh, make the film ultimately all together because you know at some point the craft of filmmaking is something that needs to be imposed uh, especially for some aesthetic reason but we try to do our best to share all of these creative tools uh, until the editing stage. And then what we did during the editing stage is that we um, did a few test screenings with the group, got the feedback, and then went back into the editing room for uh, four times. And then at each time there was additional material to refill, you know, in order to fill some gaps, et cetera. And so sometimes when you see they are wearing a hijab, especially mm -hmm. from the back, sometimes that's uh, an extra uh, because uh, obviously she, she was not there, she was gone and uh, other um, women from the group came in to fill that role. And then in the end, uh, the, the intention, the desire is to try and use the market potential of fiction for a film that at the same time tries to respect all of the ethical or uh, 
aesthetical choices of a documentary in order to have a stronger impact. Uh, in, in here, as well as in other countries, I guess documentaries for distribution are less um, strong. And so we tried to play at the table of fiction in terms of the distribution. And so in, our intention was to really influence the largest um, possible group of people in order to care for this issue. Mm. And uh, obviously an emotional fiction film can uh, be stronger uh, on that direction. And so then the film got ready and the date got ready, the COVID virus started, and then we were frozen for a whole year until uh, premiere at uh, Slam Dance. So we're very happy to premiere at Slam Dance. This is a, this is a delicate uh, story. Um, and I, I want to know, I know you're talking about the importance of it, but what drew you personally to it? I think while living in Hong Kong, it's very um, clear that there are some groups that are less represented within the media in terms of the screen time they get or the roles that they might get. Usually uh, cinema here is quite um, focused on the majority of uh, the people in terms of choosing stories. Mm. And so I thought as a person who just moved to Hong Kong and is not from here, I maybe don't have much added value to work on a story like that. But as a person who is a migrant here, who comes from a migrant background, maybe there is something I could um, add into that, uh, into that spectrum. And uh, so that's the first thing. The second thing, maybe the, um, the domestic violence, et cetera, is also because of some experience. And uh, then when you are generally thinking about um, you know, the different stories to, to choose, of course, as a creative person, you have you know, free choice. You could choose anything. And uh, uh, maybe I thought this one was more urgent given the, you know, a lot of stories I heard and a lot of uh, things that you see, there were quite some cases of um, domestic violence within the community of uh, domestic workers from the um, from their employers in the, in the in the media, and so I was uh, I thought this might be uh, an important story to tell, and uh, I think the potential of Hong Kong as one of the few um, genuinely multicultural cities in Asia is underestimated. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of things that. Uh, the many different Hong Kong people can uh, contribute to, and it's not currently being um, ex- experimented, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that um, the, the way you went about making this film, you know, had it been a documentary, it would have been a lot harder to make. And, you know, just the, the sheer experiences that they go through, they're, they're putting their, their jobs and their lives at risk you know, if, if they were to just let you follow them with a camera all day. Um, so I'm curious to know, you mentioned you wrote this with, you know, roughly 40 domestic workers from Indonesia that were working in Macau and Hong Kong. Um, what was the, the journey like for you to gain their trust, you know, as, as this outsider coming in to tell their story? And, and what has their reaction been to the film? I think there's two things to mention. The first is that generally 
there's not much interest on these topics from people that are not Indonesian domestic workers here in Hong Kong. Mm. And so someone that uh, suddenly is interested right into that might uh, be new or might be a surprise. Uh, on the other hand, you're right. When I try to bring the camera into a real setting situation, think about the family, the host family, for example, that would be impossible, but that would also uh, let them lose their visa because um, they cannot legally do any other job than a domestic worker. It's illegal for them to change to a different job, even if they find a better job. And it's also, I believe, illegal for them to join into a study program with this specific visa. So um, this became a sort of, uh, you know, free workshop entertainment during the weekend. And there's a lot of that. There's many of them who even go to their consulate to study at uh, Indonesian universities remotely. So there's a lot of alternatives and workarounds uh, to that. But in terms of topic, I think when I approach something sensitive, like something negative that has happened, if I approach in a normal way, then we have the problem of language and then we have the problem of communication and then we have the problem of trust, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But creating that simple uh, space, like stage space where people can invent the story and uh, fill it in with their own uh, experience made it magically easy for them to channel out a lot of negative emotions and experiences that they've been through. So the excuse or the mirror of it's a fiction, it's not true, we're just acting out, made it possible for them to um, allow all these emotions out. And we have had during the workshop, a lot of instances in which women were um, really um, acting out very, very personal and intimate um, moments of their life that was so touching because of uh, budget constraints and time constraints, we haven't managed to put even half of that into the final film. But for example, there were women acting out the moment in which after 20 years of service, they come back home and their daughter doesn't recognize them. We had that, you know, those are powerful images or they come back home and they realize the money they sent to the husband was spent systematically with the new lover, right? So the photos of the house he was sending were photos of the house he bought with someone else. There were, of course, uh, women acting out all the scenes that you have seen in the film. Everything you have seen in the film come from someone's um, story, including the, um, uh, obviously the domestic violence, including the meeting with foreigners, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And uh, it was not... Um, hard when that chance was given, that space to express those emotions was probably um, the trigger and uh, it, it was the, the way in. They obviously did it in Bahasa Indonesia. They didn't uh, do it in English uh, or in Cantonese. So many times I was not understanding what they were saying. Maybe I went back, asked for help, translated, and then I realized what happened, but of course, um, you can imagine the whole acting slash script writing process was done uh, entirely orally. There was nothing written or, mm. you know, a few highlights because it's oral stories and that's 
an easier way to do. That's why later most of the dialogues were improvised because it comes from an, uh, you could say an um, large treatment, right? We prepare the landscape in which things are to happen and then they're free to do as they, um, as they remember or as they want. So they, for example, the dialogue with Judy when she's playing agency, yeah, 90% of it comes from her trying to act out. And, uh, you know, many people saw the film and thought even there must be or there was some sort of um, probably clumsy, therapeutical kind of um, dynamic going on in there. So we try to be respectful, uh, respectful as much as possible. But uh, when dealing with these issues, of course, you know, you, you're never uh, sure enough. Mm-hmm. You're never too careful. And, and what has been their response? Have they been able to watch the film and, and give you feedback? Sure, sure. In the first cut, uh, the response was quite negative. I was destroyed. Uh, I, I run back to edit again because I would never talk like that or that's not a choice she would make or, oh my God, that scene is so fake. You know, because <laughs> at that point... Once they are in control, of course, they are, you know, entitled to say anything. And so right. uh, the, a lot of stuff was cut, a lot of stuff, even the part with the uh, guy that hosts her in the end, the Italian guy, uh, uh, yeah. part was uh, changed. And then there was the generational dynamic. So in our group, we both had uh, women that were like 21, 22 first experience abroad, first time they live in a very big city. Uh, Maybe they came from a small um, rural area. And of course, you know, maybe this is a, you could even say liberation experience, right? They see the world, they see international, you know, it's a completely different thing than other women we had that have three kids at home. They are 43, 44. They are uh, here and they're constantly you know, trying to be in touch at home. They maybe have a small business at home that they opened thanks to the time here. Mm-hmm. So it was challenging to put these two things together. And in the end, we've had to make choices. And so someone, of course, felt that their group was not 100% represented and we couldn't possibly do that. So at times, this was a challenge. And, uh, you know, we manage, of course, you see, they are represent someone who is probably in her early 20s very early 20s when she leaves. And so there is no dynamic of her having son and daughter back home, right? That was a whole new, different story, maybe an idea for chapter two, but uh, mm-hmm. we definitely didn't have time to put it. And we, for that reason, also, we have put all her sisters, right? To mm. There is always a family back home. They always say, for one person you meet here, you have to realize we're never alone. There's so many people back home that depend on mm. us. And so that's the reality of uh, remittance that um, we tried to, to, to show also. So we hope the film speaks not just about Hong Kong, but also about other similar situations and dynamics around the world. Yeah, Alberto, can you talk about casting Dea herself? Cause she's, she's a wonderful actress and obviously singer. Yes, we had to choose an actress and uh, we look as maybe any non-Indonesian would do, right? 
we looked at uh, okay, who is there, and then it seems that it seemed that um, there were a big difference between someone who is really into the craft of acting and preparing mm-hmm. roles for a long time and taking acting as a you know serious um, endeavor, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And then on the other side, more some that are famous because of their looks or because of some other reason that maybe are not necessarily um, really into, you know, the process of entering into a character. And um, Dea was definitely not one of the ones with a larger audience, uh, but um, she seemed really good. And we saw some films she did in the past. She, she was the co-protagonist of Marlena the Murderer, mm-hmm. which is a really wonderful Indonesian film. It was the Indonesian entry to the Oscars a few years back. Oh, okay. And in that film, she did a really um, great job. And also her feature were very much uh, voted and in um, voted and very much um, promoted by our group within the workshop because they felt that she really looks like a, of course, good looking, but also she really looks like a normal girl. This was a, such a strong um, motive. Uh, yes, she could represent me. Yes, she could really be from a small village, you know. Some other actresses, they have made their aesthetic uh, extremely, um, I don't know if, you know, if I'm painting such a rough um, uh, portrait, but, you know, they have made their aesthetic extremely urban-based and extremely modern mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. very fashion you could say and and that felt completely off and far from the whole acting lab that we were doing and uh, also there was the reason that she's a really wonderful singer she actually comes from musical she has been the protagonist and uh, um, in in so many musical productions for theater in uh, Indonesia and it seemed when we spoke to her that she was also the one that was easiest to talk to, et cetera, et cetera. And so these were most of the reasons. And then uh, honestly, when people saw the film both in the process and after it's completed, most of the comments, the great positive feedback was directed to the protagonist. She did uh, really an exceptional job. I haven't seen or heard anyone saying that the best thing of this film is not her acting. I think everyone, <laughs> everyone always says that. And in the editing process, we cut out so many things that were not directly uh, related on her own character. So the f- sort of very introspective uh, touch or point of view that you might have felt within the film. So it's always her close up, you know, or it's always how she feels about thing. And, the whole film is told from her own point of view only. Mm-hmm. Um, this one was probably one of the, uh, let's say, daring choices that we have made during editing because originally, you know, there was a smaller story of her host family. There was a smaller story of her family back home. There was the smaller story of the Italian guy, but all of that was just not strong enough compared to her parts. And so by cutting out all of that, uh, her part seemed to become even stronger. And so the the film really revolved around her own experience and everyone was um, 
happy with that choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just, I, I really w- want to thank you for telling this story that really is so common. It's just under all of our noses, whether we know it or not, no matter what country you live in. You know, I, um, I'm Filipino and I, I grew up in the States, but I have had family members that have employed domestic workers. I have a family member that married a domestic worker. You know, it just, it just, um, and these stories really resonated. A lot of really similar, you know, flashbacks. And it's, it's not something that I always talked about, but I, it, I just, it brought back all these memories to me. And I'm like, why, why don't I talk about that more? Why don't I hear about it more? These stories. Um, and you know, Aaron and I were, we were in Israel a few years ago and, and, um, every country has it, you know, I, I didn't know that a lot of Filipinos go to Israel to, to work abroad. And, and everybody thought that, you know, I was a worker there and, and, um, which isn't a a bad thing to go and work there, but I, I felt, you know, just a little glimpse of that sort of isolation and separatism. Mm -hmm. And it's, and it's so, it just overtakes everything, you know, it fills the room. And I just, um, other, you know, other than telling the story that never gets talked about, what are your, what are your hopes? What, what are your calls to action for, for what's going on um, in the world and what kind of impact this film can have? Uh, I think, first of all, usually they speak about domestic helpers, domestic help. And a big mind shift would be to start calling this domestic work because mm-hmm. it is work. Mm-hmm. It is a job. And it's a very heavy job. There is no working hours. Um, Even legally, there is no working hour limit per day. And uh, in Hong Kong, as you probably know, the Filipino and Indonesian women domestic workers are like 50-50. They are a large group. They are 5% of the total population of the whole of Hong Kong. Altogether, these two groups are more than all the other minorities combined. And in terms of workforce, they are 10% of the workforce. So it's very, very essential part, very uh, substantial part of the economy of this place because families uh, where maybe they have kids or maybe they have an elderly at home and uh, both parents work, they can do that because of the domestic worker. Maybe... Mm. I don't remember the exact number, but I think it's one family in three or something like that, that really um, has domestic worker. And a lot of them have very positive and empowering and really, really great stories of, you know, people that in our group, even during the filmmaking at some point, there was a moment that I asked to share photos of back home, right? So many of them sent picture of the houses they built thanks to the money they were they earned abroad houses where you know their parents for the first time could live uh, in a property home etc cetera, etc cetera. and um, the problem is that for those that are not lucky enough to have that kind of positive and empowering um, situation narrative then there is really no legal protection because it's just up to the employer some employers are really great and their situation of course is not paradise but it is very positive but some others are not some others are very nasty and uh, for those it seems that there just hasn't been a kind of uh, policy safety net for the women to be protected and this has happened not just here which is already one of the places where um, domestic work is um, 
kind of a luxury destination because, for example, Hong Kong is already much better than many other destinations. But um, in other places as well, I'm, I'm sure you've heard, uh, I don't want to quote the country wrong, but uh, I failed to remember which country exactly in the Middle East, but I remember there was instances, there were instances of domestic workers um, killed with the death penalty because of some mistakes they did on the job while abroad. That is, you know, of course, some kind of crazy examples that um, can be fixed only if I believe there is a uh, serious attention on domestic um, migrant domestic work across different regions. And uh, what we try to do is to focus on one specific territory because Hong Kong has done a lot of positive uh, changes into many domains. And so we thought, you know, Hong Kong could be turn into a positive model for this so that other regions could uh, take inspiration, could uh, improve as well. So our intention certainly was not to shame anything in Hong Kong, and I hope the film is not perceived like that. Uh, but I think instead of doing a larger, you know, top to bottom kind of policy that then maybe the different countries have a uh, hard time implementing within their context, it would be easier to just have one positive virtues example in one specific place that works in a very good way and then trying to um, use that as a reference or an example for other areas. Yeah. Well, we are way over our time. So thank you so much for being on Binge thank Talk, you. Alberto. And um, thank you for making such an important film. It was, really, it was really something special. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. It's my pleasure to, to be with you. Thank you for your interest. If you like what you hear, rate and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information about us, you can head to bitchtalkpodcast.com. This podcast is created, hosted, and executive produced by Aaron Lim. My co-host is Angela Tabora, a.k.a. Captain Party. The show's edited by producer Shar. We're powered by GoTo Productions. 